Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. I am your host, Teresa Marks, a senior wealth strategist at CIBC Private Wealth in the U.S. I am joined today by my colleague, Lindsay Jacobson, a managing director and estate administrator at CIBC Private Wealth. In today's episode, Lindsay and I will discuss the process of administering a loved one's estate. All right, let's get started. state administration process, I think, can be very daunting for people, um, both because it happens during a very emotional time for people, but it's also, there's a little bit of mystery surrounding it in terms of, you know, it's not something people go through on a daily basis, thank goodness. Right. Um, And it's not something that they kind of do repeatedly. So maybe we can take some of the mystery out of the estate administration process. What should people know, kind of think about the, the stages of the state administration, whether it's they, you know, their family's going through it, or they're actually the person being appointed to sure. administer the estate. What, sh- what should we know? So I like to think there's really four stages of administration. Mm-hmm. The first stage is um, gathering the documents. So what that means is um, looking for the um, decedent's plans. Um, so looking for their will, their trust, um, life insurance policies, um, things of that nature to really guide you. Uh, then you'll also want to look for things like, um, did they have accounts online? Mm-hmm. You have to find their passwords these days, which mm-hmm. is tough. But you look through their mail. You see if you can find bank account statements. Um, you try to figure out if they have a safe deposit box. You're trying to kind of piece together their their whole financial life, mm-hmm. really, to um, sort of go through and figure out what their assets are. Okay, so you're really you know gathering those documents, gathering those assets. So. Where do you find like a will and a trust? Like, yeah. where do you typically find that for the person who's died? Well, that's a great question. And um, so there's a couple places you can look. You can start by looking in their desk, and that's what we typically do. We, and we, you know, of course, ask the spouse. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they know, but mm-hmm. sometimes they don't. So um, sometimes you, they have a safe deposit box, mm-hmm. so it's at their bank. And um, hopefully you have a key. Mm-hmm. And if not, you can work with the bank if you have the proper documentation in order to get a key and have them open it, um, they'll let you take the will, the trust, uh, at least make sure it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a great tip for people is um, to make sure someone knows where the documents are. Yeah. In the planning process, right? I feel yes. like you know it makes that estate administration process so much easier if you've done that planning up front, whether it's Absolutely. here's where my documents are and here's where my assets are. As you yes. said, like, you know, trying to find some of those things. It used to be that we would look at an income tax return and we'd see, you know, kind of everything listed and right. we would know where it is. But now, as you said, I mean, you might get paper statements, but you might not. And it's a little bit harder to to find those. Exactly. And, and as you know, in an income tax return, those checking accounts might not be there because they're these days they're not earning the interest <laughs> necessary to be on the tax return. Right. So, right. yeah. Okay. So once we've figured out what are the assets, where are the documents, what do we do next? Okay, so the next step I like to think of as step two is initiating probate. And you really only have to do this if it's necessary. I know a lot of estate planners, you know, one of the the pitches is to avoid probate, and that's Mm -hmm. why you make a trust. It's not that daunting of a process, but if you have assets that are of significant value, each state has its own limit, Mm -hmm. um, then you will need to go through the probate process. So you would do this by um, working with your estate planning attorney and you um, fill out the probate documents. So you're just disclosing those um, assets that are in the decedent's name alone. Okay. So that's one of the reasons a lot of people like trusts is for the privacy protection. But so you're just, uh, a lot of people have um, 
bank accounts that are titled in their name or maybe a car, mm-hmm. a boat, things like that will cause you to um, have to open probate. Sometimes people have real estate mm-hmm. where their house is titled in their name. So that would cause you to open probate. So it's really just a process to um, identify the assets, um, pay out your creditors, and then transfer the assets. And a lot of time, those assets end up in the trust anyway, mm-hmm. but it's just the formal legal process. And when you say probate, we're talking about like the court process. Yes. So you actually have to ask the court for permission to do anything. Correct. And they will issue you what's called letters of office or letters testamentary, which is a document that shows you as executor have the authority to transfer those assets. Okay. So once you've kind of initiated that and started that process, mm-hmm. what, what what's stage three? So stage three is really... Um, determining the values of the assets and paying any bills. So when I say determining the values, um, some some things are easy to value. Like if you have marketable securities, that's really easy to find the value. Some are a little harder. Like if you have a house, you're going to have to get an appraisal. Mm-hmm. If you have a life insurance policy, you're going to have to contact the company to provide you with those values. If you have a limited partnership, you're going to have to find a company that's going to do a whole mm-hmm. lot of research to figure out what that value is. Um, So that takes some time and you figure out um, the date of death value. And part of the reason you're doing that is to disclose it on the estate tax return. The other reason you do that is to get a step up in basis. So one of the tax benefits is that when someone passes away, they get to revalue their assets at this, what's called the step up in basis. So this new basis for tax purposes. So all those capital gains that were built in are wiped away at someone's passing. So if they purchase a stock A at $10 and they die and it's at $100, we get that basis step up to $100. Yep. So now if it's sold, the, the tax basis is 100 instead of the, the 10. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. exactly right. Um, and then the other thing we do is we pay final bills. So um, people have things like medical bills from their last um, illness. Uh, sometimes you have ongoing utilities if you have a house. Um, things like that is um, what you'll ultimately pay. You also want to go ahead and pay your estate planning attorney <laughs> their fees for opening the probate, things like that. But it's really just trying to wind down the affairs of the decedent. Okay, so just kind of tying everything up in a bow almost. Kind yes. of saying, like, now we've met all of the decedent's obligations. Yes. Um, and now we can move, uh, presumably, to stage four. So um, stage four is really distributing the assets and closing the estate. And what I mean by that is... So you've gone ahead, you've, you think you've paid all the bills and um, you've paid any taxes. So some, some of the estates are going to be large enough where they're going to either owe an estate tax or need to file an estate tax return. Some are not, some are below that threshold. So that's not necessary, but every um, decedent is going to have a final income tax return that needs to be filed. And then if um, there's going to be a fiduciary income tax return that needs to be filed as well, and that accounts for the estate and trust and whatever income has been earned mm-hmm. during the time period of the um, settling of the estate. And so then um, once all that is completed, you feel like you've paid all the, the bills, the taxes, any debts, expenses, all that fun stuff. Then um, you go ahead and you close your probate estate if that was necessary. And then you look to the beneficiaries or, or the part of the plan that says where the money is going to go mm-hmm. and you pay that out. And at that point, you're really completed, you've completed the estate administration process. Okay. So once you've distributed it out to everybody, (laughs) you can say that your job is done as the executor. Exactly. So I know this is going to be a hard question because it's one we get all the time, but Mm -hmm. it's how long does it take? You know, I think a lot of times, you know, when when somebody has just lost a close loved one, Mm -hmm. you know, 
sometimes we think it's going to be fast. And I think probably in both of our experiences, it's not. So is there a range people should expect? And, you know, certainly I'm sure it's a range, but kind of what should people go into this thinking how long might how this long? take? You know, that's a, a question we get pretty frequently. And it, it's a tough one to answer. But what, what I like to um, kind of give as, as guidance is that if there is no estate tax due, you didn't have to file a state tax return, you should plan for like 12 to 18 months. And that's really because you have those final income tax liabilities, okay. whether it's the fiduciary income tax or um, your final personal return. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being sure that you've, you've paid your creditors. And that's kind of enough time to really feel like you've completed those tasks. Um, for a taxable estate, it sort of depends on the IRS, which mm-hmm. I know everyone loves to hear. <laughs> um, but so you're waiting for what we call an estate tax closing letter. So you request that from the IRS. Unfortunately, the IRS now requires you to wait six months after filing in order to request that okay. closing letter. So for taxable estates, we're talking two to three years. I've even had some that have gone over three years because we were just, the IRS got backed up with the pandemic mm-hmm. and we weren't able to get a closing letter until later. So it's in, sometimes they, the IRS will audit the return mm-hmm. and that will delay things because you're going back and forth with them and trying to kind of negotiate a settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best sort of um, tip I can give as far as guidance for it is if it's not taxable, plan for 18 months. And if it is, plan for two to three years. Okay. So so, so given how long that it yes. takes, I mean, are there some things people should think about before we get to the estate administration just to kind of prepare the family, you know, wh- whether there's a surviving spouse or not, but to kind of prepare the family for this potentially long period of time? Well, I would say always, always let them know that it's going to be a long period mm-hmm. of time. I mean, we will absolutely let them know. Um, But I would also say one of the things that I run into quite frequently um, is that the surviving spouse doesn't have access to funds right away. Mm -hmm. And and that, you know, is obviously not what the spouse intended when they passed away. And so and the reason for that is because um, bank accounts get frozen because they're in the name of the decedent or, um, you know, the husband paid all the bills and they were coming out of his trust. And now you know, the the marital trust that gets funded isn't able to get funded right away. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's important to have um, funds available, whether that's a joint account or put some funds in the spouse's name alone just to be sure there's some liquidity until that marital trust can get funded. Okay. The other thing I like to tell people to think about um, is our federal exemption amounts keep changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, you know, it goes, it, people are always nervous that they're going to get lowered again, but they've been going up with inflation. Um, so I would encourage people to, to talk with their estate planners on a regular basis to be sure that their formulas mm-hmm. in their trust documents make sense. Because the last thing you want is to overfund one, one trust and mm-hmm. you don't leave anything for the other, especially in tough family dynamic mm-hmm. situations. So you don't want to end up where the the marital doesn't get anything because you didn't have enough money to fully fund the credit shelter, or it could be the opposite Mm -hmm. way. So So it's kind of doing some of that planning ahead of time, really thinking about the access, whether it's a spouse or a family member that might need to pay some of the expenses, making sure there's access to liquidity, whether it's the decedent's liquidity or just their own, um, and then really making sure that the plan works as intended so that when we get to the estate administration process, 
at least it makes it a little bit easier. Exactly. Because yeah. we really are tied to what the document said. Mm-hmm. Even if you know what your spouse's intention really was, mm-hmm. if it's not in the document, it's not something we can work with, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So it's really about kind of just stepping through the stages and kind of taking it piece by piece. I mean, when I was in private practice, I used to always tell clients, you know, take time for, you know, kind of your grief, like acknowledge that this is this is a really tough time. Yes. The financial piece will follow. And then it kind of really taking these steps and acknowledging it's going to take a while, I think can really help people. It makes that process even easier. Yes. And that's another reason to, you know, be sure you have someone named in the executor or trustee position mm-hmm. that um, you're comfortable with doing this because it is a really hard time in someone's life. Right. And so if you're asking your spouse to be executor or trustee, they might not be in a position where they're able to do that. So it's just something to keep in mind. Again, going back to that planning piece, really planning ahead of time so that the estate administration process is a little bit easier. Yes. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. We hope you found this topic interesting and that you will continue to explore the variety of wealth planning topics available to you on this channel. Thank you and have a great day. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC and the private banking division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This document is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this publication only and may change without notice. Such concepts are the opinions of our investment professionals, many of whom are chartered financial analyst charter holders or certified financial planner professionals. Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards Incorporated owns the certification marks CFP and Certified Financial Planner in the U.S. There is no guarantee that these views will come to pass. Past performance does not guarantee future comparable results. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. To the extent that information contained herein is derived from third-party sources, although we believe the sources to be reliable, we cannot guarantee their accuracy. The CIBC logo is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Investment products are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.